last time from Chuck Swindoll. We didn't have time to include it, and then it kind of grids into our thought for today. He's talking here about suffering and how God develops inner character and charts maturity through a suffering. And he said, a perfect illustration of suffering and a proper response to suffering is the oyster and its pearl. Pearls are a product of pain. For some unknown reason, the shell of the oyster gets pierced and an alien substance, a grain of sand, slips inside. On the entry of the foreign irritant, all the resources within the tiny, sensitive oyster rushes to the spot and begins to release healing fluids that otherwise would have remained dormant. By and by, the irritant is covered and the wound is healed by a pearl. No gem has so fascinating a history. It is a symbol of stress, a healed wound, a precious tiny jewel conceived through irritation, born of adversity, and nursed by adjustments. Had there been no wounding, no irritating interruption, there would have been no pearl. Some oysters have, are never wounded, and those who seek for gems toss them aside, fit only for a stew. No wonder our heavenly home has as its entrance pearl gates. Those who go through need no explanation. They are the ones who have been wounded and bruised and responded to the sting of irritation with the pearl of adjustments. I knew you'd like that. I wanted to share that with you. I thought that was just really, really excellent. Let us continue our study now and let us go to Matthew 5. I grew up in a home uh, that was non-Christian. And when uh, our family situation continued to develop, and when our family um, got into the teenage years, which is my sister and myself, my father began to struggle with the battle with the bottle. And he began to lose. And more and more and more, as the years went by, it became very obvious that he was an alcoholic. It's a very difficult thing to do to live with an alcoholic. Because every day, as we would come home, often we were wounded again and again by his voice, by the things that he said, by the curse of words. It wasn't only uh, within the last three years, as I was sitting in my office here in the building, that it came to me that I was not dumb. Now, I didn't go around all the time thinking, I'm dumb, I'm dumb, I'm dumb. But at some point in my life, I believed those words as being true. And I never challenged those thoughts until, as I said, about three years ago, sitting in the office, and I thought, well, you know, I look at my life, and I look at the opportunities I've had in Bible colleges, and teaching, and speaking across the nation and other parts of the world, 
And I thought, I surely can't be dumb because um, they wouldn't ask me to do it if I was. So it was interesting. You know, all these years, I just never challenged that thought. And it's amazing how the words that are said to us, we can believe them, even though they're not true, and go through life just believing lies. The curse of words. Be careful what you say. Things got increasingly bad in our home until I felt that I personally could not go on any further and I made preparations to kill myself at 16 years of age. I tried to commit suicide and failed desperately and felt, see, it even shows I'm a failure. I can't even kill myself in a proper way. So I went through a lot of pain and a lot of heartache. And not understanding bitterness and forgiveness, I knew nothing about forgiveness. I became deeply bitter. When I became a believer when I was 19 years of age through the Navigators, it did not take care of my bitterness. I continued to be bitter towards my father. And whenever I would see him, I would just struggle inwardly because of his drinking problems and what he said and all the heartaches and all the fights and stuff that went on in our home. It was really uh, a bad scene. Then one day, I went to a seminar and there the instructor shared to me about bitterness. And I was amazed about bitterness. And I began to realize that I was very, very bitter towards my father. And this is after pastoring two churches. So being a pastor, going to Bible school, being in Christian ministry does not mean that you are necessarily a forgiving person. I cannot say that everybody that's watching this video is obviously a forgiving person. You may be very unforgiving. You may have your pain and your suffering. So we want to look at another aspect here. And that was this. As I began to think in terms of the pain and the heartache of my childhood and my teenage years, I remember, I, I remember thinking I was focusing only on what he did to me. And as long as I focused on what he did to me, then I was bitter. But all of a sudden I realized, what about what I did to him? Would I want a son that would respond to my authority and the way I responded to his authority? No way. In fact, it wouldn't let him get away with it. Would I want a son that looked at me the way I looked at my father and the things that I said to him and reflected in my attitude towards him were absolutely wrong and despicable? And I realized that forgiveness was something I could do privately. I could forgive what he did without ever talking to him. But when I dealt and asked God to forgive me, guess what was left? What was left was a lot of guilt. Often when we do things that we shouldn't do, we have an emotional uh, kind of a scale inwardly. And when I do things that I shouldn't do, let's put over here that this is my, my uh, conscience. And it starts weighing down. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to feel guilty. The other side over here is my blame side. And so here I am, blame. And the reason I do this is because of what they did. And I try to balance my emotional scale. When our emotional scale is out of balance, guess what happens? 
you and I become emotionally, we have emotional breakdowns because my scale is, is tipping one way or the other. So I try to balance my guilt with blame, and I try to balance it pretty much. But when I asked my dad's forgiveness, guess what happened? The blame was gone, and I was left with all of this guilt, and I just went way, way down with guilt. So we need to talk about this thing of guilt. What about my responsibility in this? Because once I removed what he did, then I was faced with my personal responsibility. Now, he could have been 80% wrong, and I dealt with that. But what about my 20% that was weighing me down? So let's look at some scriptures here that give us direction. What do we do when you and I have guilt? Now, we have guilt on many, many things. Guilt can be God's way of letting me know that I am seeking information or I'm seeking an experience that's out of his will. A guilt, guilt is a good thing. Guilt is God's way of getting my attention. Hey, stop. You're going in a wrong direction. It's, 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 it's his red lights. And we don't want to proceed through these red lights because if we do, we can have tremendous difficulties as we plow through those lights. Now let's look at this. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. The Lord Jesus said, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that someone has ought against thee leave thy gift before the altar go thy way first and be reconciled to that person then come back and offer your gift see when someone offends me a mature Christian is going to Give to them forgiveness. That's very important. They will give forgiveness. But if someone, if I offend someone, I should not expect them to forgive me. I have personal responsibility, the word God says. If I remember that I have hurt an individual and I'm aware of this, then I need to go and to ask their forgiveness. So if I have been forgiven, I mean, if I have been wounded, I need to forgive. If I wound someone and I realize this, I need to go and ask their forgiveness. Look at Luke 15. Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 we have an interesting situation. It said there was a man that had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of my goods that followeth me. And he delivered unto them his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey in a far country, and there wasted his substance in riotous living. I am sure the father had probably an idea of the irresponsibility of this young man, and what possibly would happen if he gave him this large sum of inheritance at one time. But it was his, he gave it to him, and he let him go. Do you know, there's something that's hard for me to understand. It's something that's hard for you to understand also. And that is this whole concept of free will. But I know this, 
that God in his sovereignty in eternity past chose to let us have free will. He took the risk of allowing us to have free will knowing that sometimes some of us would use it wrongly. But he took the risk. And so this father realized he couldn't go through his life forcing upon a mature son his standards, his goals, his purposes, but that this young man had to internalize truth. And so when the young man said, Father, I want to go, he let him go. And he joined himself. He said he spent all. He, he went many days, and he gathered uh, in, this, in this far country and wasted in riotous, wicked living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in tremendous want. He went and joined himself to the citizens of that country, and they sent him into the field to feed swine. And he would have fainted. Uh, had he not fulfilled his, buddy, uh, his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, but no man gave to him. Tremendous loneliness came upon this fellow. He lost everything. He came to the end of himself. That's extremely important. Today, we do not allow young people to come to the end of themselves. We rush in with programs to help them out. And they never do come to the end of themselves. But this young man came to the end of himself. And it said, when he came to himself, here he is sitting in the garbage and in the pig pen with garbage strewn around him. And he said, how many hired servants? My father have enough bread to eat and even over. And here I am perishing with hunger and I'm fighting the pigs for food. I will arise. I will go to my father. I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So many things here. This young man began to reflect on his own behavior. Now we, we get a picture here that possibly his older brother was not the easiest fellow to work for. And he worked for his older brother. The Jewish community uh, and the Jewish laws forbid a man from dividing his property. Now that is extremely uh, wise. We pastored a church in Northern California. And if the men there would divide their family amongst their, their, their acreage amongst their sons, in one division there would not be enough for all of them to be able to make a living. But if they all lived together and kept all the property, they all could make a living. But that's not easy. But often you would drive on these cattle ranches and there would be houses. One brother and his family, another brother and his family, another brother and his family, and then the father. And you see these people living all together because they would need all of the land for hay and then the, the land that was allotted to them to put their cattle on government land, an open range. Otherwise, they could not make it. And so uh, people that divided their property up amongst their sons soon found that the ranches were too small. The men had to leave these ranches or get another job in order to make a living. And conglomerates came in and bought up these small ranches. And so many of your cattle ranches are owned by major large corporations. And many of these, these ranchers no longer have property. But in Israel, you could not do that. 
the property had to stay intact as it was given. And the eldest son would be in charge of the property, and the profits would be distributed down through the family. And the eldest son's son would inherit all the family, but they'd have to see the other family members got their equal share. It was very important. And so this young man said to himself, I have sinned, first of all, against God. Secondly, I have sinned uh, for my father. And I am going to make things right. And he humbled himself. What I've done, the way I've lived, Father, I've discredited you in your name, and I'm no longer worthy to bear your name and for you even to consider me a son. And so in verse 20 it said, And this young man climbed out of the garbage in the pig pen of life, and he came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him. Now why did his father see him? I believe every day that that father looked up the road that that young man went down and was by faith, looking to God to bring his son home. Bring his son home with a broken and a contrite spirit. Bringing his son home, and the son would clear his conscience, accepting full responsibility for what he did. And when the father saw that ragged person coming down the road, he realized that was his boy. And he had compassion on him, he ran, he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. And put shoes on his feet. Bring forth the fatted calf. Kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For my son, who was dead to me, is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. And they began to be married. Now the plot thickens. The elder son. You know, sin has consequences. And when we make wrong choices, often those choices have very long-range consequences upon me and those in my family or friends or associates. And so the elder son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and said, what does this mean? And he said, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. You know how your father was grieved over your brother and how his heart was broken, wanting him to come back home. And the younger brother was not excited. In fact, it said he was angry and said, I will not go in. Therefore, his father came outside and said, won't you please come in your brother's home? And he said, I refuse. I will not go in your house. And he answered and said to his father, these many years I serve thee, I've never transgressed. I, at any time, any of your commands, and yet, you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. And look, here's a very key verse, verse 30. And as soon as this thy son, he didn't say as soon as my brother came in. He said, as soon as this thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with prostitutes, thou hast killed for him a fatted calf. If I had gone out and chased prostitutes, would you give me a party? That's what you did for him. 
And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all I have is thine. It is meet that we should make merry and be glad. This thy brother who was dead is alive again. That which is lost is found. What is interesting here, he said, all that I have is yours. Your brother got his inheritance. He spent it all. He's come back. Now remember this story that the younger brother was going to spend the rest of his life serving an older brother that refused to receive him back. So the situation was they did not live happily ever after. But the young brother came back and cleared his conscience. He tried to make right the wrong that he did. That is so very, very important. Look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is a tremendous passage of the Word of God. Because in Timothy, we have here the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ as he moved upon the Apostle Paul to write young Timothy. And I am so thankful that I can share this with you. Timothy was going to begin his public ministry. The Apostle Paul was concerned that Timothy would not shipwreck his ministry. I cannot tell you the number of Christians that I have seen who have shipwrecked their ministry. And so let's look, what are the, the prerequisites? What is the instruction from the Word of God that God gives us so carefully? And he says, be careful. If you're not careful, you will shipwreck your ministry. Now, this was written by Paul to Timothy, who was his son in the faith. Timothy was going to begin a public ministry in Ephesus. Ephesus was the center of idolatry and immorality of the known world at that time. In fact, it had the Temple of Diana, and people came from all over the world just to look at that temple for the construction of that building. It, it was a, one of the ten wonders of the world, just its construction, just to see this huge temple. A thousand girls worked in that temple. And men uh, performed immoral acts with these girls as part of their religious observance in that temple. And here is Timothy going to this Las Vegas or Amsterdam or the Paris of that day to start a gospel ministry calling people to righteousness and holiness, to throw off the works of darkness and to walk in the light. Tremendous difficulties he was going to have. Tremendous opposition. It was a satanic stronghold of the new world. The, uh, 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 a very difficult place to minister. It'd be like going to a center of the world that was held by an occult group or by a false religion. Very, very strong. And so the words of Paul are very significant because he didn't want Timothy to fail in the hardship there. He said in verse 18 of chapter 1, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them might war a good warfare. He said, oh, Timothy, I want you to be successful in your battle for godliness and for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, there's two things, Timothy, you must take with you if you are going to make it in your Christian life. He said, first of all, genuine faith. Timothy, you must believe God. You must step out. When God says something, Timothy, believe it 
and do it. The second thing he said, you must have a good conscience. Timothy, I exercise myself always to have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards man. And I exhort you, Timothy, that when you offend a righteous God, confess it. When you offend a man, go to that man and make it right. He said, Timothy, some have launched out on their life of faith, and they have made shipwreck because they did not believe genuine faith or a clear conscience were important. Like two men, Timothy, I want to remind you of. One of them's name is Hymenaeus, and the other is Alexander, and we have turned them over to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. See, they were turned over to Satan. God is using demonic forces for the destruction of the bless, for the destruction of the flesh, pardon me, and for spiritual discipline. Strong, strong words there. How did they do it? Did they have a service where they turned these men publicly over to the demonic world? I don't know. But these men were turned over, Paul said, because they did not think faith or a clear conscience was important. Now look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He said, now, Timothy, remember this, the end of our preaching, or the purpose of our preaching, the purpose of teaching, the purpose of Christian ministry is three things. Or pardon me, it's one thing that flows out of three things. Love. He says, Timothy, the love of God is extremely important that it might flow out of your life. You're going to people who will feel very unloved. And the love of God is to flow out of you to others. And if it is, there are three prerequisites. The first is, it must flow out of a pure heart. Pure heart has to do with my presence, now life. Morally pure. We are living in a very impure society. God has called us to holiness. God has not called us to sexual looseness. God has called us to a holy, pure life. And he said, God's love must flow out of a pure life. If my life is impure, then impure love will flow out. My love will not be pure. So a pure heart deals with the present. Then he said it must flow out of a clear conscience. The clear conscience looks to the past. And I must be sure that if I have hurt or offended anyone, I've made it right with God and right with them. And then he said it must flow out of genuine faith. That looks to the future. So we have past, present, past, and future. They all must be dealt with. And out of this can flow God's love to a hurting, dying world. Now, as I saw all of this in my own life, I realized that I had deep bitterness as we looked at these two days. And I got along with the Lord, and I asked God to take the bitterness out of my heart. I released all of the pain and the hurt that I had held on to all these years, I opened my hands, and I released all of that to the Lord, and I let him take all of that out of my hands. And I exercise my will, and I say, God, I will forgive my father. And then I begin to realize that I had hurt him.
And I knew that the best way to deal with an offense was not a letter, because the letter documents it for eternity. We didn't want that. But it would be to call on the telephone. But I felt, because this had gone over so many years, that probably the best way of dealing with this would be for me to see my father face to face and to tell him that I realized how grieved I was for my attitudes and the way I hurt him deeply. And so I'll never forget, it was Easter, and I was preaching in my church, and my message that Sunday was on how I hated my father. Interesting Easter message. Because what's Easter all about? It's about forgiveness and how God taught me forgiveness. And I shared the death of Christ and how he had forgiven my sins and the whole thing of bitterness and how that I intended. I'd asked God to take away the bitterness of my life and I had forgiven my father and that I had planned that summer to go and visit my father and ask his forgiveness. On the way home from church, my wife said, Jim, I really feel that you ought to call your dad and ask his forgiveness today. I think it would be good that you would deal with it. Instead of putting it off this summer, deal with it right now. And I said, no, I really don't see it. I want dad to see that I'm really grieved and how sorry I am. And so I went home and we sat at the table. We were eating our meal and the phone rang. And I sat by the phone, it was on the wall. And I took the phone off the wall and I answered it. It was my father. Now, that doesn't sound very unique to you, except I can tell you this. My father never called. My dad and I could not communicate, so he never called. My mom always called. My mom always talked. She said, the kids say this, dad said this, the kids say this. My dad was not a telephone person at all. And so it was my dad on the phone, and I'm smart enough to know a divine encounter when I see one. And I knew that here I'd spoken forgiveness, and my wife had said I ought to call him. And since I said no, God had him call me. And so I said to my dad, I said, Dad, as I look back over my life, and especially my teenage years, I realized how deeply I have hurt you. I realized that my attitudes and actions were so poor, would you forgive me? And my dad said this question. He said this, kids are kids. Then I realized I hurt him more deeply than I ever dreamed of because he did not say, I will forgive you. He just said, kids are kids. And so I said, Dad, I can't tell you how badly I feel of my rebellious spirit towards you and your authority. Dad, could you and would you forgive me? And he said, yes. And then we made a little bit of small talk with the kids on and all of my life, I wanted my dad to say, I am proud of you. My dad never said it. He never said I was a Christian. I was the first one in my family ever to graduate from university. Uh, he never said anything about that. Never got that. The only thing he ever said was, I picked a good wife. That he did say. He never told me directly, but he told my mother uh, that I had picked a good wife. So that was something I'd ask my mother, does dad care? Is dad proud? All this kind of stuff. But after I asked his forgiveness that Easter, he sent me a letter. And in that letter, he said, I just want to tell you how proud I am of you. I couldn't believe it. It just filled my heart. Then what happened was um, 
That was at Easter time. In August, at the end of summer, my dad called on the phone and said, could I come and visit you for a week? And I was shocked because my dad and I never communicated. We'd sit and talk and we'd end up in an argument. It'd be terrible. I wouldn't be in their home two days and we'd be arguing. And so when he offered to come without my mother, I couldn't believe it. He came, he flew into the airport, and he flew with my nephew, who was 15 years of age, who had never, I don't think, darkened the door of a church, or very seldom, would only be if a friend invited him, because I told you I was from a non-Christian family. And when my dad was at the airport, came to the airport, we went to meet him. And when my dad came up the, the ramp and turned down the, the hall and came towards us, for the first time in my life, all of a sudden I realized something was happening within me that I had never, never felt before. And that was I had feelings of love towards my father. It wasn't something that I'm going to love him, but within me welled up feelings of love towards him. And I stood there and I thought, I can't believe this. Whenever I'd see my dad, my stomach would turn over. Because we always would fight. He'd be drunk and he would say terrible things. Now I'm seeing him after I ask forgiveness. After he got rid of the bitterness, and God allowed me to love him. What a tremendous thing. God was just flowing this love out. And what a thrill it was. My dad came to my home. He spent a week there. The third day, my nephew received Christ as his personal Savior. He went back to the L.A. school system and started a Bible club in the public high school and had over 100 kids going, not knowing it was against the law. My nephew, in this next month he's now in the he's in the helicopter division of the la police department he at a luncheon next month is going to receive the highest honor of valor that the la police department can give to an individual in fact they said that gregory peck was going to be reading and emceeing the luncheon where he will be honored with his highest honor of rescue of people he is a tremendous christian has been consistently walking with the Lord from 15 all the way up into his 30s now. But my dad sat there and, and while my nephew bowed his head and received Christ as Savior, that Christmas time, when it was at Christmas, and I remember Christmas is on a Sunday, and this was a Saturday, and my wife called the church and said, Jim, sit down. Uh, you're, you're, I've got to tell you something, so sit down. So I sat down and I said, what is it? I said, your mother came home. In fact, it was a Friday, I believe. My mother came home from work and found my dad dead on the floor. So here at Easter time, God spoke to my heart about forgiving him. So I forgave him. In August, he came and spent a week with me. And at Christmas time, he was dead. We opened presents from a dead man. It's very, very difficult. But we knew we had to have Christmas. We had four children. They needed Christmas just because Grandpa died. But here we're opening presents from a man who selected him for us and it was very, very difficult. We went down to the funeral. My dad had six sisters. They were all at the funeral. And as each one of them went to the coffin, the response of all of them was the same. I'd walk up to them. I wanted to talk to them individually. And I said, I said to my first aunt, they all said this. I said, do you realize that before dad died, I asked his forgiveness for the way I treated him? And they said, yes, he told us. And do you realize that your dad said this? that that week he spent this summer at your house was one of the best weeks of his whole life. What a tragedy. I was a Christian for years and years and years. Even in Christ gone through Bible college and Christian work, and I was holding resentment and bitterness in my heart. 
and I would not let go of it. And it robbed me of a meaningful time with my own father. My father went into eternity. I am not sure if he's in heaven or not. We have no real indication that he is in heaven today. And my father went into an eternity, and all he had was one good word for his son. You know, if only someone had shared how to get rid of bitterness. If someone had only shared personal responsibility with guilt. Now, it's not their fault. It was my fault because it was right here in the book. I didn't see it. And I want to encourage you, don't leave this institute if you have offended others have not made it right. God is using you to speak to you to keep short accounts with God and with others. If you have offended others before you offer your sacrifice of your life on the field of service, I encourage you to go to the phone and call and assume 100% personal responsibility for what you have done wrong. Forgive them and clear your conscience. The two things that will destroy you as a believer is guilt and bitterness. They are like a cancer. If you don't deal with them, they will eat you up alive. Deal with them. Deal with your guilt. Deal with your bitterness. And God will honor you. Father, as we bow our heads and hearts before you, your spirit can search the heart. Father, if there are offenses that I've committed against others, I ask that the Holy Spirit now would bring them to mind. And Father, I will jot them down. And I will seek to make things right. That I might have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards man. Oh Father, I do not want to shipwreck my life. Christ's name.